Our Old Testament reading can be found in your pew Bibles on page 492. There you will find Psalm 25. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Do not let those who wait for you to be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Do not remember my sins from my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. Our New Testament reading can be found in your pew Bibles on page 946. There you will find Luke 10. I'll be reading verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of our Lord. Let us join together in prayer. 
Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the opportunity to gather as your people. And this morning we ask that you would quiet any voice but your own, that we might truly hear from you, that you might be our teacher this morning. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. At the center of the Princeton Seminary campus sits Miller Chapel, a large one-room meeting house where seminary students and faculty have been gathering for daily worship for close to 200 years. The sanctuary is simple like this one. It has cream walls that are fairly unadorned other than large antique windows that fill the space with a bright, warm light no matter the season. As a student, I loved this space. Future teachers and preachers of the church would gather there for instruction, to receive the Lord's Supper, and to join our voices in song, bolstered by a magisterial organ that filled that chapel with rich music. Beneath the Corinthian columns outside, students would drop their book bags, umbrellas, and coats on their way into worship, and with them, by the grace of God, they would drop the theological debates and academic squabbles that characterized much of our daily lives. Miller Chapel was the place where professors became pupils and pupils became preachers. It was the great egalitarian center where divisions were somehow less painful, where divine communion was expected, and where the Spirit of God knit us together in our common need for God's grace and mercy. Christian worship has a way of binding together the most unlikely companions, like the subways in New York City, where grimy and hungry people find themselves pressed against executives from Goldman Sachs. Worship has the capacity to unite friends and foes alike. At Princeton Seminary, Miller Chapel was this place for us. And one unspoken rule, one unspoken rule guided all of our actions. Here, we make room for one another. The beloved story we heard from the Gospel of Luke this morning reiterates this part of our vocation. I believe the story of the Good Samaritan is about making room. The story is a familiar one. Even people who don't claim the Christian tradition as their own, they have heard of the Good Samaritan. Most people know that the Samaritan is the hero of the story and that all of us are supposed to emulate him. But what they might not know is that the original hearers of this story would have been scandalized by what they heard. Jesus had been talking to a group of disciples when a lawyer, or in this context, what that means is a teacher of the Torah. This man approaches Jesus and asks him a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? good theological question we would have debated at Princeton. And like any good teacher, Jesus responds to the lawyer's question with another question. What is written in the law? 
The lawyer offers a prompt response. He knows the law. He says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus wholeheartedly agrees with the man. You have given the right answer, he says. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer has a follow-up question. He says, who is my neighbor exactly? He's clearly looking for some wiggle room here. Wants to know if there's some kind of boundaries that are going to be allowed. And to answer his question, Jesus tells this great story. The story of the Good Samaritan. And this story has dramatically shaped the course of Christian theological conviction and Christian ethics since we came into being. The story begins with a man who falls into the hands of robbers, who is beaten, stripped, and left for dead. In this introduction, there is already a detail that should not be overlooked. A group from our church went to the Holy Lands a few years ago, and our guide, Andre, pointed out that the fact that this man was stripped is an important detail. In the Middle East, you can tell a person's religion by the clothes they wear. With a glance, anyone can be identified as a Jew, a Muslim, or a Christian. It was similar in Jesus' day. So when Jesus says that the man was beaten and stripped naked, we are immediately aware of a conundrum. The man lying in the ditch is now unidentifiable. He's a mysterious other. So when a priest comes along and sees the man on the side of the road, the priest in some ways would have been right to be wary. He would have had no way of knowing who this man was. Was he a Jew? Or was he from a hated rival group? For all he knew, the man could have been pretending to be injured and was laying a trap for him. When a Levite passes by, we know that it's possible he was on his way to the temple in Jerusalem, and he would have been made ritually unclean if he touched the man, no matter who he was. So both men shift to the other side of the road, and they pass right by. If we're honest, these responses of these men in some ways are natural. They're prudent even the ones that we might choose ourselves. But then Jesus introduces the hero of the story, and the listeners are mortified. Some of them are even disgusted. You see, the Samaritans were despised by those who were in Jesus' audience. The Samaritans were descendants of a mixed population, they opposed rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, and they constructed their own place of worship, which meant that the Samaritans were social outcasts. They were religious heretics. But Jesus presents a Samaritan as the great hero, the only one on the road who chose to suspend all judgment or any kind of prejudice toward the stranger. It was a Samaritan who was the only one who, without a thought about his own safety, crossed over, bent down to help the man in the ditch. And at the end of the story, Jesus asks 
the lawyer in the crowd. So who was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? There was only one obvious answer, the Samaritan. Can you see how sheepish the lawyer might have been? He says, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do likewise. The crowd had to have been perplexed. What was Jesus getting at by making a Samaritan the hero of the story? As I consider it, all these years later, I believe Jesus was issuing an invitation to the audience that day, and I believe the invitation is to us as well. Make more room. Many people in the crowd that day, and many of us right here in this sanctuary, are good at keeping score. Many of us have mental lists of those who have harmed us, people we cannot stand, people we even consider enemies. And Jesus says to each and every one of us, these are the people you are called to love and serve. These are your neighbors, the ones I demand you show mercy and kindness. And these are the ones who might very well tend to your wounds one day when life has stripped you bare and beaten you down. Make more room. At the end of each service at Miller Chapel, we prayed for our seminary community. To close, we spoke in unison the words of the Lord's Prayer. And there was always this one singular moment in the midst of that prayer that felt more Christian than almost anything else we did. You have probably experienced it yourself. It's when you come to the line in the Lord's Prayer where different Christian traditions use different words. You come to the line where Presbyterians say, forgive us our debts. And there was always a lovely pause. Because some people in the room used the words, forgive us our trespasses. And others said, forgive us our sins. And in that one sacred moment, we created a room for one another. And that moment in prayer left a profound impact on me. For a moment in worship, we put aside the family feuds that have split Christ's body into so many denominations, and we were neighbors to one another. As a pastor of this church, one of my favorite moments in worship is when I look out on the congregation and I see a visitor or someone running late who comes into church and is looking for a seat. And one of you notices. With a smile and a gesture of welcome, you slide over. It's obvious that you aren't concerned about your own comfort or about your own worship experience alone, but your orientation is toward the needs of others. Making room is part of our Christian duty. And this is one of the lessons we glean from the Good Samaritan. At the end of Jesus' parable, he tells the lawyer, go and do likewise. He doesn't say, 
go home and ponder my words. He doesn't say, go home and take some time to pray for forgiveness, you wretched soul. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, go and do likewise. These words are for us as well. Go and do. Make room for the stranger, even if it costs you something. Make room for the other, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Make room for the marginalized, the poor, the broken, even those you despise, so that you might fulfill the command of Christ, make more room. Today, more than ever, we are in need of good neighbors, are we not? The public discourse in our nation today has become increasingly harsh and mean-spirited. Following the events in Charlottesville last weekend, there's no denying that a pernicious resurgence of white supremacy is actively adding fear and hate to the mix. I bring this up not as a political issue, but as a theological one, one that is related directly to our scripture passage for this morning. As Christians, our conviction about the other, the stranger, and all whom we live in community alongside spring directly from the teachings of Christ. And Christ teaches us that every human being is created in the image of God and is worthy of honor. Christian ethics compel us to actively love those who are different than ourselves. This is reiterated in our story of the Good Samaritan. When the man who fell into the hands of robbers was stripped and left for dead, he was stripped of much of his identity. Was he a Jew? Was he a Samaritan? A Roman tax collector? It didn't matter. For Jesus, what mattered in the telling of this story was that there was a person in need, and the Samaritan of all people honored God by lending a hand. And my friends, Christ calls us to be such neighbors. The world is in need of Christians who do not kowtow to partisan ideology or acquiesce to privilege or participate in the vitriolic condemnation of others. The world is in need of Christians who give of themselves fully for the sake of others. The world is in need of Christians who set aside their grudges to offer themselves fully for the sake of others. And while caring for others who are not like us is difficult, making room is difficult, it is the very will of God. What must we do to inherit eternal life, the lawyer asked. It is written in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, do this and you will live. So let us go and do likewise. Let us make more room.
to the glory of God and for the redemption of the nations. Amen.